everybody. Welcome to Don't Get in the Van. I'm Mandy. And I'm Caitlin. And today, Caitlin has a local St. Louis case for us. And it was actually a request by one of our listeners. So like we said before, we're excited to bring you anything you request. So keep those coming in and take it away, Caitlin. (laughs) All right. So today we're talking about Dennis Nathaniel Rabbit. He was born on June 28th, 1956 in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, He was an only child and his parents were a middle-class couple um, with some rumors claiming that he was the godson of baseball player Stan Musial. His father was an entrepreneur who owned a popular bar in the city. Uh, It was a tavern on Mackland Avenue in Princeton Heights neighborhood of South St. Louis. And the family actually lived above the tavern. He also had relatives who were members of major political and social organizations. Um, So basically, he had a pretty lavish upbringing. Yeah, sounds like it. During his school years, he attended the Bishop DuBourg High School, where he was noted for his tall build and affinity for softball, but did not achieve outstanding results in any other fields. (laughs) Okay. Do you know where that high school is? I mean, you know... I'm not from here originally, so I don't really know. People are really into, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be like, oh, I know that because people are always like, where'd you go to high school? I'm like, not in St. Louis. Yeah, not here. (laughs) I don't know that I've even heard of it because again, I've heard of it. I didn't go to high school there or anything. Yeah, I've heard of it, but I don't know where it is. Okay. All right. So because of his introverted personality, he had few friends and rarely interacted with girls, but was never bullied or considered a social outcast by his peers. Oh, well, that's a good, that's good. That's different than usual. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So by his own admission, he began to exhibit an unnaturally high interest in women at an early age, leading to his interest in browsing through his father's collection of pornographic magazines. Why did he know where those were? Yeah. Right. (laughs) So during this time period, he would go around peeping through a female neighbor's window to watch her engage in intimate activities, but was eventually caught. In media interviews, he described watching his next-door neighbor bathe from his upstairs back porch. Oh, my God. Yeah. In quote, she never closed her bathroom window. I thought I was getting away with something. He claims that at one point his neighbor contorted herself in such a way that he believes she was putting on a show for him. I highly doubt that. Uh, Yeah. So when the neighbor, when the neighbor, (laughs) when the neighbor moved, uh, He went around the neighborhood looking into windows and it escalated into entering homes, stealing items, and finally escalated to actually raping these women. He said, I'd watch them sleep sometimes. I was there when they were, I was there when they were with their husbands. They'd just never know I was there. He's in the house. I'm not really sure how to take that. Okay, so he was I mean, there. He could have been somehow. peeping. I mean, he was a peeping Tom. So he yeah. very well could have been peeping through windows. He said most houses had a door that was left unlocked. So it was pretty easy for him to not even break to mm-hmm. enter. Don't do that. Um, he said he'd listen to his victims' phone messages and read their mail when what? he was in their homes. Oh, for, I guess from like a, a machine, obviously, right? I guess, yeah. Okay, weird. But like, who does well, yeah. that? I mean, it was, he was born in the fifties. Oh yeah. You're right. So, you know what I mean? Around the time he starts doing that, I'm sure is when like voice, yeah. like actual like voicemail and stuff started like becoming a thing. Yeah. 
But that's when they actually had like a separate recorder yeah. for like messages. Yeah. And you had like, to, like rewind and play. press the button and yeah. Yeah. Um, so after his family changed residences, he would continue to spend all of his free time away from school, peeping on women in various areas of St. Louis. According to his testimony, after his parents learned of his sexual deviations, he, uh, his high school, in his high school years, his mother drilled a hole in the bathroom door in order to observe and prevent him from engaging in masturbation, only for him to begin watching her doing intimate activities. What the literal fuck? That's a horrible idea. Number one, you just encourage peeping by drilling a hole in your yeah. wall. Because now you're going to peep on him. What oh. makes you think he's not going to peep on you? Oh. Okay. So in 1970, he was arrested for voyeurism and lodged in and lodged in the county jail where he was subjected to a psychiatric examination, which found him to be sane and lacking in any sexual deviations. Really? Okay. Hmm. Young, um, horny <laughs> boy behavior. <laughs> But it's a little over the top to be actually looking in windows and shit, yeah. but you know. Um, three years later, Rabbit broke into the home of a girl and under the threat of a knife, attempted to assault her, but his victim resisted so fiercely that he dropped it and was forced to flee. In his own claims, he had become a suspect in the crime due to the fingerprints found on the knife, which belonged to his father, but he was not arrested due to his father's family connections. He must have worn gloves, and that was the knife that his dad had used in their No, house. his fingerprints were on the knife. Oh. It was his father's knife, but his father was able to be like, hey. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Let's okay. not do anything with yeah, this. Yeah, let's just leave him alone. Let's drop it. It's okay that he did that. So after high school, he was shy. He was on the heavier side, and he wasn't super sure of himself. He didn't date. He fantasized and the fantasies grew more and more powerful. And then in his early 20s, he met his future wife. He says, I fell in love the first moment I saw her and it took me half the summer to ask her out. I sold socks for my, uh, at, I sold stocks my father <laughs> had bought. We're going to start that over. I sold socks. I was like, <laughs> what? Now he's selling socks? What's happening? <laughs> I sold stocks my father had bought me when I was a kid so I could buy her a diamond ring. My life made sense all of a sudden. Okay. A few months later, she left him and then returned to say she was pregnant. So the pair married in 1980 and had two children together. And in the early 1980s, um, with support from his father, he went into business and opened a bar. Okay. So, like father, like son, I guess. Right. Uh, the family lived in Baldwin, Missouri. Okay. In 1982, the family was struck by a tragedy when Dennis's mother was shot and killed by her second husband in front of Dennis's daughter, causing Dennis to drink heavily and quarrel with his wife. Yes, I would, I would uh, assume so. That's fucked up. Right. So, his business begins to decline, and he experienced difficulties and in 1989 his wife filed for divorce after accusing him of being unfaithful so that's a little bit about dennis like his life up until all of these things start to really happen okay so, so he was he was just mainly being like a peeping tom and he 
tried to assault someone, but it didn't work. And so nothing like, I mean, not good, but nothing insane yet. Right. I mean, he was raping people. Oh, he already. was. Okay. Yes. So over the years, he avoided police suspicion. And in a 2001 episode of Cold Case Files, St. Louis police detectives said they had no discernible pattern behind any of the rapes. Oh, really? They knew where the South Side rapist was operating and they had some details on his activity, though. Okay. So that was what he was dubbed. He was dubbed the South Side Rapist. Okay. Investigators said he'd wear a mask and gloves to conceal his identity and avoid leaving fingerprints. He'd perform oral sex on the victim before moving to forced intercourse. He eventually forced his victims to shower after each attack in order to remove potential evidence. That doesn't always work completely, though, I don't know. So so he first came to the police's attention in mid-1998 after his van was stopped near the I-44 in Davies County during a routine checkup. He had a van. He had a van! (laughs) So during the check, it was discovered that his van's license plate was registered to another vehicle, uh, after which Dennis was charged with theft and issued a ticket. (laughs) That's it? Um, That's it. Okay. On that evening... He was spying on a woman in Fenton when he was seen by a neighbor who scared him away and attempted to chase him down. Oh. While he managed to flee in his van, his (laughs) pursuer reported the incident to police and provided them with an accurate description of the voyeur and his van's license plate. Oh, good. Uh Um, And fun fact, he actually had his dog named Baby. It was a lab collie mix in the van with him that night. What the fuck? So he's out here peeping in windows and his dog's in his van. Uh, Which seems a little ballsy because what if the dog was like barking and shit and alerting people that somebody's out there? Exactly. Yeah, stupid. A few days later, he was spotted by traffic officers near Pacific where he had raped a pregnant girl that evening. Oh, God. He was unaware the police were tracking his crimes and that the media had given him his infamous infamous moniker until the neighbor a neighbor handed him a newspaper so he says that uh that lady that lived downstairs from me came up to me and said have you heard about the south side rapist he's raping women in the area and he said no i haven't heard she gives me this paper and i'm halfway through the article before i realize it's me oh my god come on So on October 29th, 1998, he was apprehended by police officers on suspicion of committing multiple burglaries and rapes attributed to the Southside rapist. The investigators had been investigating the supposed criminal since 1992, attributing at least 22 rapes of the girls and women between ages 14 to 82 since 1988. What the fuck? 14 to 82? People are so weird. 80. To leave everyone, including these old women alone. Alone. God. In at least 16 cases, the rapist biological traces were found on the victim's bodies from which DNA is isolated. No such traces were found in the remaining other six cases, unfortunately. Hmm. That's on October 31st. Mary Beth Carr, a DNA analyst at the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department's crime lab, confirmed. Dennis's DNA matched samples taken from victims of the Southside rapist, and with an arrest warrant in hand, police went to go apprehend him. 
So after he was apprehended, uh, he was ordered to provide a saliva sample, but because the test results were not available until four weeks later, authorities had to temporarily release him oh, fuck. as uh, up until that point, no physical evidence had tied him to the crimes. So once he was released, he left St. Louis and went into hiding. Of obviously. course. Yeah. <laughs> four weeks. They couldn't rush that shit. I, I mean, come on. This is an the late 90s so i guess not Mm. once the dna results were returned in late november it was discovered that his genotypic profile matched that of the south side rapist and an arrest warrant was issued for him on november 3rd he was spotted at the american motor inn in springfield where he remained for approximately four days before being seen watching a football game at the Furot Field in Columbia, F A U R O T. Okay, Furot. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> After the game, he left the city and went to Osage Beach, where he was recorded on a surveillance camera entering a convenience store. He was last seen checking into a motel in Joplin on November eighth. After which, he crossed the border into Oklahoma, and his tracks were lost. A search operation involving the FBI was organized to catch Dennis with the authorities offering a $25,000 reward for any information on his whereabouts. During the operation, the homes of his family and friends were wiretapped. In mid-January 1999, the investigation team detected a call to the house of one of Rabbit's friends, which determined it originated from a gas station in Peevely. Oh. However... They failed to locate him after a subsequent search of the area. He's not going to stick around anywhere. Well. Or he is. Who knows? (laughs) Rabbit was arrested at a motel in Albuquerque, New Mexico. What? On February 28th, 1999, while local police were searching for a 15-year-old runaway girl. Oh, God. Based on a witness testimony, the girl was found in the room where Rabbit was staying under an assumed name. And after law enforcement attempted to question him, he tried to flee and was immediately arrested. During questioning, Rabbit admitted to raping numerous women since 1973, giving dates for crimes he had never even been suspected in. Although he was found in the company of a 15-year-old girl, Albuquerque police did not charge him with any crime. What? Leading to his immediate extradition to Missouri to face charges there. He pleaded not guilty on 10 counts of sexual assault. Do you think they didn't charge him because, like, Missouri they wanted was like... to extradite him? Yeah. I, I kind of think so. I think they were like, look, we got, like, countless fucking rape cases out here in Missouri. We need his ass back here so that we can do yeah. it. And they were like... One 15-year-old girl versus fucking 70-something women right. and children that have been raped, I guess. Yeah, let's take one for the team here. God. During interrogations, Rabbit testified that his first attempted rape took place in 1973. He claimed that the victim's age, appearance, and personality traits were irrelevant to him, obviously, since he raped an 82-year-old woman. That during the assaults, he would use a bright flashlight and imitated the behaviors and speech patterns of police officers. That's terrifying. Yeah. Because of this tactic, several officers were listed as potential suspects during the investigation and were ordered to provide DNA samples. 
Oh gosh. He admitted to being extremely disorganized and in various instances he had either fled due to violent resistance from his victims, restricted himself to simply peeping on them or stealing valuables from the houses. So the Southside rapist tag came from the news media because of the cluster of cases in 1992. It took years for the police to connect those rapes to incidents throughout St. Louis County and across the river in Collinsville or to earlier incidents that may have yielded more clues. When Rabbit started raping, police reports were, weren't computerized. Then his territory expanded across jurisdictions and there was no centralized database. All police had to go on was Rabbit's own behavior. He used a bright flashlight. He said certain things in a certain order and he had a way of speaking in which in which almost implied he was a policeman. Don't call the police. I monitor their channel. What? That's what he would tell people. And can you imagine shining that bright fucking flashlight in your face? You can't see shit. You have no No, idea. You can't see what he looks like or anything. Mm -mm. That had us going for a long time, checking vacation schedules and work schedules, even gathering DNA from several police officers. So speaking of fighting back, um, there was one girl in particular that really fought back a 14 year old and she ended up evading rape. So I actually have a clip of her, um, during an interview and there's also an in jail interview with him. Um, so you're going to get to hear her, her, uh, speaking a little bit about the incident and then you'll get to hear him talking and he gives all women some advice. Yours. Scratching each other, pinching each other, biting each other, punching each other. At one point, we were both on the floor. We had furniture dumped over. I was pretty swollen and bloody. My lips were busted open. Um, at one point, he had me on the ground stomping on my chest. You know, I was pretty bruised up. When I started undoing her pants, when she started fighting, she she plus along that I remember she couldn't raise her arms anymore. Just because I'm out of the South St. Louis area, doesn't they shouldn't feel safe. They should not stop the precautions that they started. Just because I'm out of the area doesn't mean they should feel safe. You're not wrong, but fuck you. I mean, what the fuck? Don't, you cannot start being like, oh, you know, she did a great job. Guys, this is how you need to act, you know? Yeah, what the fuck you? This is Uh, all because of you, dickhead. My mm -hmm. God. Okay. Yeah, what the fuck? Mm Mm-mm. All right, so that, who you heard, was Tammy Sirocco. She was 14 years old. And she was home alone one evening in November of 1991, and she had come out of the bathroom where she turned into her hallway and found Rabbit there waiting for her. He grabbed her, pushed her into a bedroom, and turned off the light. I asked what he wanted, um, and I said, take anything he wants in the house. And he said, what I want, you have. Tammy said he forced her into the bed and tried taking off her clothes. That's when she made up her mind to fight back. Tammy's father, a St. Louis police detective, taught her to do anything and everything to fight a would-be attacker. We were scratching each other and pinching each other, biting each other, punching each other, she said. Um, This is all parts that you heard in the interview that we just played. Rabbit left the bedroom and returned with a knife, and Tammy said she promised not to fight him if he put the knife down. When he did, she went back to fighting. This continued again and again until Tammy finally got hold of the knife herself and broke the blade off. 
Finally, he relented and fled the home, and she was pretty battered up. After his conviction, he remembered Tammy had fought for so long and so hard she couldn't even lift her arms. Um, and then, of course, we heard his comments on it. She was a very strong young lady. She'd be very proud of herself. She was one of several victims in the courtroom on the day Rabbit was sentenced. Um, he apologized in court to all of his victims. And Tammy said the apology in his sentence is enough for her. Okay. She said, I found peace in it that he was finally caught for my sake. And I wished peace on him that he recover in any way or found peace within himself. Stronger than me. Because I'd be like, I hope he rots the fuck away in hell in fucking prison forever. And somebody shanks his ass. <laughs> you know? He also insisted that his main motive for the rapes was burglaring into the houses, which several of his victims indirectly corroborated, stating that he lost sexual interest or had erectile problems quite quickly. Oh. He initially pleaded not guilty to the charges in St. Louis County. Eventually, he would plead guilty to 49 counts of sodomy, rape, and robbery. Renowned St. Louis Circuit Court Judge Bernhardt Buzz Drum Jr. handed down three life sentences in January of 2000. He received two additional life sentences in St. Charles County and another in Jefferson County. In aftermath of the sentencing, Rabbit was uh, inundated with requests for interviews with local media outlets, and the matter was closed as far as the criminal justice system was concerned, but the public really wanted answers. He was also suspected of two rapes in Collinsville, Illinois, where he was never charged. Uh, for his confirmed crimes, he was given six life terms without the chance of parole. In February and March of 2001, he wrote a pair of letters to Fox 2 reporter Mandy Murphy in response to an earlier request. He expressed dissatisfaction with other interviewers and claimed an interest in discussing his reasons and methodology behind his cruel crimes so people could, by his logic, protect themselves from predators like himself. Yeah, I mean, don't you think that's bullshit? Oh, completely. But I have these letters, and I'm going to read a little bit from yeah, them for you guys. I totally want to hear it, because I love how he's trying to, like, uh, validate, you know, like... Yeah, oh, what he did as, like, yeah. proper... Like, how do you protect yourself from what I did? Let me tell right. you. Like, fuck yeah, you. Like, I'll tell you all about it. So here's the first letter. Hi, Mandy. I have not heard from blank of the Missouri Department of Corrections at yet, but I have. Uh, what the fuck does that say? I have before doing a lot of something and praying on your request to interview me. Oh, probably thinking. I've been doing a lot of thinking and praying on your request to interview me. I do think an interview God, his handwriting is awful an interview something right can do a lot of good i did not like the way the blank interview came out um since i am not in the st louis area i will not see the interview or how you present it this does present a small problem that i believe can be solved easily enough i met a man last week his name is blank director corporate security uh something and international he works at blank 
blank, blank, and blank came to see me and I did a little film for them. I liked doing it because it uh, it was a way for me to help and I believe it was for a good cause. I told blank about you and wanting an interview. Uh, blank also did not like what blank did with their interview. Uh, blank offered to help with the interview and also possibly be there at the interview. I like blank because, because, uh, and it's worthy. I would like him involved as quality control so we can gift the get the most out of the interview and help the most people. I cannot express in words how important this is to me, and I hope this can be worked out. Thanks, Mandy, for your help in this matter. And then there's another one. He says, hi, Mandy. When I was being held at St. Uh, Genevieve Jail in St. Louis, the St. Louis officers had made arrangements to take me around the area to try and put their, their whole thing together. It was all arranged, the different, uh, the something involved felt it was important as much as I did to try and put a pattern together. The lieutenant in charge of sex crimes shot it down. I believe the reasons they gave were not the truthful reasons. Something made a lot of mistakes and I don't know. He's talking shit about the cops basically in this one. I can hardly read his fucking handwriting. It's all caps, but oh. his R's and E's are weird. Basically, he says that he confessed, but he didn't realize what was happening to him. Um, He wanted to help the police by showing them the areas that he was prowling or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I can hardly read his fucking handwriting. But anyway... He liked to write some letters to this news anchor, Mandy Murphy. So it sounds like she's one of the only people that he can really write to right now. And he's just using it as a way to complain. And that he wanted to kind of take his situation from what I'm seeing and be like, oh, I can help the police. The police are like, fuck off. Right? I guess. So she did interview him in 2001 at Crossroads Correctional Center. And that is uh, part of the interview that we listened to. Okay. Um, but he won't be eligible for parole until he's 119 years old. <laughs> so never. And he's in custody at the Missouri State Prison as of now. So anyway, that's what I got for you guys. Dennis Rabbit. Dennis Rabbit. You mm -hmm. stuck. All right. So he didn't kill anybody. It was, but he raped a ton of people. Yes. Goodness. All right. Well, thank you for bringing that one. He sounds like a complete asshole. And he sounds like he has like the superiority complex for sure, because mm -hmm. he wants to be like, oh, but I can save everyone. But you're the one that put everybody in this predicament. So I can see why the, I can yeah. see why the leader of the sex crimes department was like, no, I don't want your help. Like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. We, um, that's how we caught you. Yeah. Right. I do have one last thing. This was his advice. Okay. He said women can learn from his years of preying on the community. He advises them to always be aware of their surroundings and to routinely check their doors and windows to make sure they're locked. 
He said they should carry pepper spray or another weapon as a deterrent and know how to use it. And finally, if they are attacked, he said they should fight like hell to escape. No shit. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, thanks, Dennis. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for your wise words. <laughs> yeah, we didn't know any yeah. of that. Yeah, but um, you also break into people's homes. So even if the door is locked or the windows are locked, you can still break in and you can still... I think he was mainly going into houses that were unlocked. Remember before he was yeah. saying that most people leave their windows and doors unlocked that <sighs> I think those are the houses he was going into were the ones where people weren't locking any of that. Yes. Because he could easily enter it. He didn't have to work God. very hard for it. Yeah. He was kind of like a lazy opportunist. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Even with his neighbor, he's like, well, this is convenient. I don't have to go anywhere. Let me just look right across. <laughs> You know, right. Uh, he just seemed kind of, yeah, opportunistic for sure. I did read somewhere that when he was younger, when they were, uh, when he was peeping into that neighbor's house, mm-hmm. he would have his friends come over and they would all watch through oh, the window. No. And at one point he says that she pressed her breasts against the window because she knew they were watching her. Ew. Yeah. I mean, maybe people They were freaks. all like a bunch of like little young boys like peeping on her and apparently right. she like caught them and i don't know how true that is because that came from him but right yeah that, that was yeah anyway i mean that's like so normal little boy shit to do to try to like sure. see you know what i mean like you're you want to try to see what a naked lady looks like but he took it to another fucking level like yeah. he took it from normal little boy shit to i'm gonna be a fucking pervert and i'm gonna actually like peep in these windows and now i'm gonna go in and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, we're going to escalate to assaulting these women instead of just fucking peeping. Which, like, peeping is bad enough, but... Right. His voice, though, I could see how he could mimic a police officer. Mm-hmm. Couldn't you see that? Yeah, I mean, he had kind of, like, a dark, like, a deep kind of um, very, like, assertive-sounding yeah. voice. Yeah, for sure. But a police officer, hopefully, isn't going to come into your house and push you down on a bed and put a freaking flashlight in your face. So, yeah, there's that. Well, but then we have the Golden State Killer, who was a police officer. Oh, yeah, never mind. So, (laughs) I mean, they, yeah, not all police officers are good. No, they're not. No, they're not. I would say most of them probably are, but there's always going to be a bad apple, which is why you have to protect yourself regardless. True. I don't know what I was even saying. Actually, my statement is false. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping that that would not be the case. That's where I needed to add that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Because, yeah, there are. I mean, think about um, what's his fucking name? Peterson. Drew Peterson. Oh, yeah. He was a cop. Yeah. Mm hmm. I bet we could come up with a whole ton if we just thought about it. Uh (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much. Good good one um I, I didn't like that her name was mandy and he, i was like Leave i alone. know <laughs> i was wondering if you were gonna get really uncomfortable i know it's like or if you're gonna be like, talking to me <laughs> yeah i know and um i bet some of our listeners are gonna be really i bet they some really know i mean obviously somebody does but really know about these different places and about him if they've mm-hmm. lived here for a really long time i'm sure so, yeah i mean he's a. Uh... He was a prominent figure for a while. So yeah. Anybody who's lived there for any amount of time, I'm sure knows or has heard of the Southside rapist. Yeah, for sure. Ugh. Well, I'm glad he's in jail. Yeah. Same. Awesome. All right. Is Let's... he at the same place? Pamela Hupp is at a different one. 
She's somewhere else, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think she's at a different one. Yeah, I don't think they're the same. I don't even know where this one is. Is this in the Capitol or do we not know? I don't know. I don't know. Missouri State Prison at a Missouri State Prison. It doesn't oh. say exactly which one. It could be anywhere. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, he said he's not in the St. Louis area. That's what he told. Oh, that's true. He did in his Mandy. interview. He said he's not in the St. Louis area. So that's true. But neither is uh, neither is Pamela Ms. Hupp. She's Ms. like in a whole different fucking area. Yeah. Oh, these people. All right. All right. Let's do trivia. Trivia. All right. So last week I asked you guys one of my favorite questions to date by far. It was so good. Who was given $800, an alias, and was put in the Federal Witness Protection Program for testifying about a murder in a federal prison in Atlanta, then used his new alias to kill five people, including his wife? Also, what was the alias he was given? And the answer is Marion Albert Pruitt who we've actually spoken about in trivia before. Yes. Um, we talked about his final meal. <laughs> and his alias was Charles Sonny Pearson. Oh, that's funny. Um, let me do a quick check because I don't remember having anybody answer this one, but let me make sure. Nope. Yeah, no, we have not had anybody answer this one. So nobody tried that one out, unfortunately. Um, I mean, it was a pretty good one. So It was a really good one. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> um all right well this week's question is we're back to our last meals because you know how much i love those yes so who had a pound of bacon a oh. large four meat pizza four fried chicken breasts chicken fried steak two hamburgers with bacon on french toast french fries garlic bread with marinara sauce mountain dew pepsi root beer sweet tea and two pints of ice cream as their last meal holy fuck that is so <laughs> much shit also two hamburgers with bacon on french toast oh my god what the fuck this is the most like heavily meat uh one that i've ever heard read it one more time please who had a pound of bacon a large four meat pizza four fried chicken breasts chicken fried steak two hamburgers with bacon on french toast french fries garlic bread with marinara sauce mountain dew pepsi root beer sweet tea and two pints of ice cream <laughs> okay you know nobody can eat all of this. No, I cannot fucking believe they gave this person this much food. I mean, a shit ton is going to waste. But I guess, I mean, maybe they didn't have the limit that they have now. And this is why they have the limit. <laughs> well, remember we looked it up and not yeah. all states have a limit. Only certain ones do. Like God. a very specific limit. But uh, whoever this was, wherever they were, obviously right. didn't have a limit. Because no way. that's like a grocery store trip right there. Right. I like how they couldn't decide which soda they wanted. So they were like, oh, I'll just take a Mountain Dew, Pepsi, root beer, and a sweet tea. Because I might just want tea and not soda. That's really funny. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, my God. That okay. is a beefy last meal. It's real heavy, but they were like, who cares? I'm not digesting the shit anyway. Fuck it. Fuck I it. feel bad for whoever has to clean up after they do lethal injection, because I'm sure they probably lose their bowels and all that. And so Ooh. whoever's having to clean up after these crazy fucking last meals, like, blah, 
gross. Oh God. That's so disgusting. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, answer that one, guys. This is great. All right. Well, that was a good one. So I look forward to hearing those, those answers. <laughs> All right. So do you have any announcements, anything you want to share before we close us out? I don't think so. Um, I did notice that we've been uh, kind of writing the true crime Portugal oh. top charts. I think that was on Apple. Um it goes up and down it goes like we are and then we're really low and then we're off and then we're like kind of high up again and then like it just keeps kind of bouncing around but we really appreciate you guys and um again i brought you one of your requests this week and um we're gonna keep trying to stay on that so send us any and all requests that you have they don't have to be murder obviously this was Mm -hmm. a rape one um it doesn't even have to be a solved one it could be a disappearance Send us any true crime related cases that you would like to hear and we would love to cover them for you. Yeah, for sure. Any, it can be anything, honestly. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening as always. And don't forget to rate, share, review, share, 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 subscribe, subscribe. (laughs) tell your friends, (laughs) tell everyone, Mm -hmm. Um, order some stickers, put them on your car, give them to your friends. So yeah, we have a big cartel page and you can find that on our website and on our Instagram. Check it out. All right. Well, as always, remember, don't don't get in the van. van.